Hey everybody, you hear that? Sounds like tea time. Island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island. Island talk, island talk. Right here on the kitchen island talk. Keeping it real and never fake right here on the kitchen island talk Dishing the tea with Lady V, BJ, Cheryl T, we forever styling Real talk about real issues, if you don't like it then go get a tissue Walking talking like a diva should do. wouldn't choose another sisterhood too Island talk, island talk Right here on the kitchen island talk, island talk Right here on the kitchen island talk and we are back at the island and this is your girl Vanita and we're here celebrating Women's History Month. Women's History Month is celebrated with the contributions of women from history, culture, society, and has been observed annually in the month of March in the United States since 1987. Sorry, I'm getting all tongue-tied here. And in celebration of Women's History Month, we have a guest who is writing her story like a boss. Um, women can do almost anything we put our minds to, right, ladies? And sometimes without any effort, because God, God gave it to us like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, our guest is doing her thing by doing it all. She is a Jill of all trades, from singing, classical dance, acting as far as stage to include musical theater, television, and film. And I don't want to leave out entrepreneur. Uh, we are honored and want to welcome to the island the incomparable Candace Gordon. Welcome! Welcome! Thank you for having me. I'm so I'm so honored to be here and hold space with you ladies today and just, you know, get to the tea. <laughs> exactly. I like that. Get to the tea. And I'll go ahead and start out by saying how Candace and I met. My daughter, as everybody knows, our listeners know, that lives in New York. And sometimes when I go to New York, I don't actually stay with her. I'll look around for an Airbnb. And um, Candace is the one that popped up on the top of my list. And I stayed at her place and I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was within walking distance from my daughter, Ashley. And I'll stay there again. As a matter of fact, I tried to book again and I reached out to her. I was like, hey, you're all booked up. What's up with that? I wanted to come for Mother's Day. She's like... Sometimes that happens. <laughs> but anyway, she had a lovely place. I enjoyed it. And so that's how we met. And um, after that, we met up again for coffee yeah. and um, we developed this relationship. And she has an interesting story that I wanted to share with our listeners. And so that's how we met. And this is how it's all come about. So I'll go ahead and start with you managed two Airbnbs, correct? Yes. That correct. Is correct. Okay. So what made you want to do real estate and what are your busiest times besides Mother's Day? <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry, by the way, that I was not available. That's sort of the challenge of, of ha ha having just a singular space. You know, I don't have a big building where I can offer multiple rooms and um, hopefully, uh, have availability, you know, some, it, you know, the likelihood that I'm booked could be high, but it may not either. But, you know, whenever someone can come back as a repeat visitor, I'm always, I'm really stoked about that because it means I'm doing something right. Uh, because I really do aim to create 
a comfortable space. It's where I live. And so I hope other people will be comfortable as well. So it was, it was an honor and pleasure to have you in here, uh, Vanita. Um, I, the Airbnbs were born out of something quite simple, survival, <laughs> survival. Okay. And for me, you know, we have these things in life, we have these goals, you know, we have our career life, we have our family life, we have our whatever. But for me as an overarching goal, I've never really done things like everyone else. And I've kind of tried to be led by a spirit of freedom. Like I want 100% autonomy over my life. It's, it's, it's more valuable to me than a drink of water, my freedom, okay. honestly. And so as an artist, uh, you know, earnings can be inconsistent. They can be, you know, sometimes, especially when you're first starting out, you're spending a lot more money as, a, as an actor, as a performer. In many parts of the entertainment business, you may be investing more than you're getting back. You're getting back invaluable skills like, you know, education and learning and experience, but that doesn't pay your rent. Right. And so um, for me, you know, I had a very bad year. I think it was 2017 or something like that. And and I just was at a point where I couldn't tell how I was going to make it. And Airbnb had been on my radar for a while, okay. uh, but I decided it could be a way for me to, you know, when I travel back home to DC, I'm born and raised in DC and I go to see friends and family. It could be a way for me when I'm not, when I don't have to be in New York city it could be a way for me to um, help pay my rent, help cover the expenses of life here, which is quite expensive. Right. Uh, but it also was born out of, um, so that was the initial spirit of, I have to do this. I need to do something. But then there is a part of my personality. I love real estate. I love spaces. And I'm, I'm a bit of like, you know, I'm a little bit anal retentive. I'm a little bit, I'm very... Part of my, the way I expect, express myself creatively also is indicative in the spaces I live in. So I like mm. to take time to think about, like, I'm not sure I could ever be someone who would hire an interior designer because that's giving someone else way too much control over a space that I'm meant to be in and exist in and feel it's got to come 100% from my gut. And uh -huh. so in being a host, it allowed me to not only lean into what makes me feel comfortable, but what could I provide to other people right. to make them during their travels as a traveler myself to come in? What, what, do, what do people need? What do we need? And how do you want to feel? Everything's about feelings for me because I am an artist. So when you walk mm -hmm. in the space, when it, and so it allowed me to kind of lean into those parts of my personality in addition to earning income to help survive and get the rent paid it was, oh, I can meet people. Because initially before COVID, I would actually stay behind. I would meet my guests. Oh. And then, or I would try, I would try and meet them either on the front when they checked in or when they checked out. Okay. And I've seen here, there was a, a two guys from Germany who were checking out once. And I sat in here for three hours with them and chatted with them on their wow. exit. And it was just amazing. And then I had a dancer, she was a ballroom dancer from uh, from Spain who was here with her husband. She was here for a competition and we sat down and talked for maybe the first hour that they checked in. That kind of all got like stopped after COVID, but right. those experiences are very much valued. So 
that's what inspired everything. But the baseline of that was survival. Wow. Awesome. That so do they same. share the same space as you um, or do you have a separate uh, home yourself? So I leave. Um, I have a studio apartment in New York. And when I offer it up to guests, I leave and go to my space in D usually D.C. or I may be traveling somewhere else to see friends or for business or for something. But okay. oftentimes about at least 70 percent of the time, I'm just going to my other home in D.C. OK. Yeah. And I will wow. say, ladies, I stayed at her space in New York and I loved it. My daughter and I were like looking around. We're like, oh, she must be a dancer. Oh, she must be this. Ooh, she must be that. <laughs> I mean, it was so exciting. It was just it was just different. Wow. And I loved every minute of it. And she was even though she wasn't hands on there, she was hands on mm -hmm. as far as text messaging, answering my questions. You know, I let her know when I'm leaving, when I'm coming. All of that was just Amazing. I will say wow. that. Well, I have a question. I know uh, you all have others, but do you have help? Does anybody help with the Airbnb? So that's an excellent question. Um, recently, I had to really have, a, I guess, what they call a come to Jesus moment with that. Because I'm not only now Airbnb or short-term renting in, primarily through Airbnb in New York, but my actual my home in DC is a two-parter in that like the upstairs is 100% for renters. And then I have mm -hmm. this basement that is my one place in the world that is my singular space that no one gets to touch but me. Cause we mm -hmm. all need that. Because right. for a while I was feeling a little bit like, gosh, this kind of sucks, honestly. Like I have to, <laughs> as much as it was great and I loved it and that was all sincere. Two things can be true at the same time. It also was for someone who is a, a germaphobe, a very specific about my space and the way I, I, I manage my space. I thought initially I thought, can I even do this? You know, was a real, but then I set it up in a way that I, I, I can do it and that, you know, everything's very separate. I have my methods of how I, you know, make sure that there's the stuff for the guests and the stuff for myself, but both things are maintained to the same standard because cleanliness 100% is my, my, my goal in any space so, that I visit or go to that I offer up that I'm in cleanliness, hands down 100%. Um, but so I had to, I was spending so much time in DC. There was a point where I was traveling to New York sometimes just to clean up for the next guest. And I thought, mm. you know, it was getting a little crazy. <laughs> So then I started interviewing, I said, I, I need someone to help me. And I went through an interview process and I did um, end up hiring someone who helps me clean here. I need to get a backup person. You always need a backup person. So I'm still working mm -hmm. on that. Yes, I have help. I'm now <laughs> looking at letting them do it all the time almost so that I, I only have to clean up. I'm the kind of person that if you clean, I still clean after you. There's something wrong with me. I, I'm an obsessive <laughs> cleaner. That's what I was wondering. When you said that, that you were very meticulous about your space, it reminded me of me. I'm like OCD to the 10th power. So that's why I could not, you know, do a space like that and then come live in it after somebody's lived in. You know, Benita and them can tell you, I don't even like going in thrift shops. I just, my skin start crawling because I'm going in a place where other people have used those <laughs> items. And then I got to buy it and use it myself. I just, I just can't do it. And it's crazy because I travel all the time and I stay in hotels, 
but it's just like it's different when it's your your abode, your living space. So I'm glad that you actually carved out a space that's just for you in DC. Yeah. Like I said, a Jill of all trades. So you've done television, film, theater, and dance. What is your favorite thing to do? Ah, oh, that's so hard to it's ask an really? artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought about this when I was looking over the questions earlier today, and I thought, if I'm being honest, I have to say my my favorite things to do would be a combination of theater and dance and that's just because they're on the stage there you okay. just never get there's a conversation that happens between the performer and the audience there's an immediate energy exchange mm -hmm. um, you know if they're liking it or not if they're they're get, if the jokes are landing or the movements or if they're being moved in any way if they're having a human experience you know immediately and you can also switch gears and change if you feel like things aren't quite on track you know, mm -hmm. so it's, and then there's the thrill of, you, you could get something wrong and just making sure that your skills are, are developed enough that you can keep the show going because the audience doesn't have a script. The audience doesn't know what the, the choreography was, unless it's a, a shape with four people doing the same thing or however many people and you get out of line. Yes, they'll know that, but audiences are forgiving. People understand, people are forgiving. And um, that level of like just being in tune with what's happening within your performance is something that I find exhilarating. Awesome. So, what type of what type of dance did you study? I hear classical, but was it um, was it modern? Was it jazz? Was it ballet? Yeah. So it was all three of those. It was. I have had a strong foundation in in, in classical ballet. I actually started in. Um, the French style Chiquetti ballet. Okay. And then I moved over to some, some of the more the Russian style. Um, but I, I, I went to ballet class because they always said that's the foundation. You can't, you mm. have to know your foundation of how your body moves and how you develop your muscles and that like conversation to use that word again, that you're having with your brain and your body and your muscles on how you're going to sort of um, manipulate your body and 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 create these shapes, and if you have mm -hmm. a, a strong baseline with that in in ballet techniques specifically, mm -hmm. you can generally go on and do everything else. It's it's the first step. Okay. So I got a strong technique in that. I also studied a lot of um, modern. I studied mm -hmm. Horton and Graham. I studied um, Limon. I studied a uh, couple other different techniques um, in modern dance. And then I did a lot of jazz. And then when I got to LA, so shortly after graduating college, I went to LA and then I started doing hip hop and street jazz. And there's so many variations. There's jazz, but then there's yeah. street jazz, there's contemporary, there's lyrical, there's all these other styles. And I just did it all. I loved to move, I still do. I once a dancer, you're always a dancer. Yes. <laughs> for me, was a gift, a natural gift. Yeah. So I didn't start doing uh, the Horton and the ballet and jazz until I got to college, you know, because I couldn't afford it with where I grew up. And uh, at Groundland State University, we had uh, a lady to come from Alvin Ailey's first company. 
and she began to be our dance instructor. So she taught us, you know, not just to get out halftime on the field and shake your booty, but she taught us how to do classical. She taught us ballet. She taught us Horton. She taught us jazz. She even took us to an Avenue Leeds uh, recital and we got to go backstage and actually spend time with them. So we were cultured in that. And at HBCU, many of us, you know, we didn't grow up having the money to go to ballet lessons, jazz and, you know, Horton lessons, but she brought that to us. So I was forever grateful to her, but I love dance and I just had the knack for dancing since I was a child. But uh, like you said, it, it just comes to you. Once you're dancing, you're always a dancer. But learning the technique was fabulous. I love Horton and Graham, flat-backed isolation. I love it. So that's the reason yeah. why I asked, what type of dance did you actually study? So that's excellent. Hi, it's Vanita. Listen, we would love to hear from you with feedback. Let us know if we have been a help in making your day a little bit brighter. We want to make a difference one episode at a time. So check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And as a bonus, we are now on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to our channel. We can personally be reached at kitchenislandtea at gmail.com and would love to hear from you with topic and guest suggestions. So in the meantime, continue listening to this episode and take care of yourself. Ciao. Let's go to your different roles that you played within either theater or in, in television. What was your favorite role to play? That's a, another great question. And I, um, I really thought hard about this when I was thinking about it. And I think Honestly, the true answer is that I haven't played my favorite role yet. I no, love it. I'm being honest. <laughs> okay. I've played some great roles. And I would say the thing that probably comes the closest was when I played Aaliyah Johnson in Split Second, which I produced. The, mm -hmm. the only thing with that is because I was also a producer and doing everything. And it was a, a tight budget on that. And I had so many responsibilities wearing multiple hats. I'm not sure I got to enjoy it. And mm -hmm. um, in the way that I think you could when you're only playing the role right. um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. responsible for the overall success also of the production. Um, mm -hmm. But that was amazing because it was it was so well suited for the character. I enjoy playing strong um, women. Mm -hmm. I, I, I enjoy highly conflicted multidimensional roles, like roles that like, I mean, I guess many actors do, right? We're looking for something we can sink our teeth in teeth into that has a lot of conflict a lot of just you know no matter what choice we make it's not going to be good in that production we're going to you know um be making a sacrifice of sorts but it's either choosing them or us mm -hmm. um, and that was a really powerful statement and that show in particular was just e extremely interesting because a lot of what we hear certainly at that time currently you know is of you know uh, African-Americans being, you know, shot or mishandled by police. Um, and then we hear about it after we hear about what happened, what we think happened, what they say mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. um, but that show was particularly interesting. This was a, it was um, a successful black cop who shot a white man, but a white man who was sort of taunting him, being racially inappropriate with him, saying some really aggressive, horrible things to him. And he sort of snapped. 
but he knew even though he was well liked and and successful in his role he was black in the, I think that was based in the 80s um that he wasn't going to be treated the same way and so it just mm -hmm. it just created this really interesting story about like sort of what what you do sort of in the dark really you know when when mm -hmm. no one knows what has happened except for you and maybe your loved one your your closest confidant do you make the the right decision or do you make the the smart decision um, and so roles like that are really captivating to me that are just like highly conflicted. I mean, we look for conflict in everything, but I would say that's the closest to being my favorite role. I have not played my favorite role yet just because I have a feeling I'm going to have to write that. Okay, <laughs> what would that look like? I'm going I'm to venture off from the questions I had. What would that favorite role look like for you? Yeah, Um. so it's similar sort of to the, so I wrote a play that I need mm -hmm. to be better about or more aggressive, I would say about developing is just sometimes in a, as an artist, you know, there's so many things you're trying to do at once. And as an actor in particular, you have to kind of be all in, they say, but, but that's not entirely true because in order to be seen or to make noise, sometimes you also have to be creating your own opportunities. Mm -hmm, but everything mm -hmm. takes, if you're doing it 100% and you feel like you're giving everything you have really should for me, at least, requires my full focus. And I've, I've not quite had the luxury of figuring out just the right balance of that. So I kind of, I'm in it, I write a little bit, and then a month goes by, and I'm like, I need to like write some more for this. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that play in particular, I wrote it, I received a grant, it was only halfway done, I received a grant to do it, I had a very tight dot deadline to present it to the public in the form of a reading. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so I was sort of had to like, very quickly, which I work well under pressure, finish out the play. But that story for me, um, you know, the attempt was to create a character or characters that were again, multidimensional, full of conflict, but also that play in and of itself is such a work of healing for me. And I hope mm -hmm. for people that in the character, in the character and the protagonist in that story, uh, I'm looking to express sort of all the things that I felt you know we have life as it happens and then we have the life as a writer you can write the perfect scenario yes if something didn't go right in your past or if something yes. you want in your future or if the world isn't the place that you feel most comfortable in we have the power that's the the, the power and the grace even of like art is that like we can just say what we want it to be and it's real because it's mm -hmm. true to what we're feeling Mm -hmm. It's true to the expression that we feel that we want to see. And so that role in many ways, I think could be like a wonderful example of like a my favorite role to play. I'm too old to play that role now, <laughs> right? But it encompasses all these things, a struggle for looking ahead. What is my future going to look like? What does my current fa family situation look like? What's happening in the world, in the place that I'm growing up right now that's that's causing me distress. Um, mm -hmm. What am I losing right now? I'm losing and having to give up something that was very familiar to me. My whole life is changing. How am I going to navigate through that? And what is the future going to look like now that I've lost, you know, basically the patriarch of my family has, of our family has died. My, mm -hmm. my number one really financial, spiritual, psychological supporter, my cheerleader in the world is gone. And it suddenly feels very lonely. It suddenly feels mm -hmm. like there's nothing left. And 
but I have to keep going. So what is the story going to look like and how do I heal through this? And in writing mm -hmm. Park Road, a lot of those, those desires, questions were answered in a way that mm -hmm. created a very healing experience for me. And I think if I were able to not just play the role, but even as I cast it in the future, I looked mm -hmm. to actors or an actress that is, um, that can embody all of that because there's a lot happening in that role. And again, those are the kinds of roles that I love. There's just a lot to achieve, you know? So are we looking forward to seeing that soon? Yes. <laughs> I, I can tell because yes, you're trying to you. not give it all away while you're explaining <laughs> it. You're taking your time and vacillating through the con the correct words to say without giving it away. Yeah, so we will wait on it. We will wait on it. Thank you. Thank. That's awesome. Please let us know when it does happen because we will be there front and center. And trust me, Benita will have us there front and center. <laughs> exactly. She I will. I would so appreciate that. Yes, I would love to have you guys. And I would love to have your feedback. You know, the development process is very, I'm new at the writing thing, if you will. Um, I've written several things in the past and I've always gotten very good feedback for my writing. I do believe I'm a strong writer and I get a lot of scripts as an actor that I'm going, oh my God, this writing is terrible. How am I going <laughs> to do with this? But that's the challenge of, of being an actor or a performer is that like even good writing, bad writing, so-so writing, mm -hmm. the job is to create an experience, a story to breathe life into it. Um, but I do think I have talent as a writer, but I also, the perfectionist in me quite honestly struggles with that. Cause I go, I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm not. But then I, I write something and people go, oh my gosh, why aren't you writing more? <laughs> and so, yes, um, I look for feedback and I'd be happy to share, you know, if you, you were open and willing to be um, readers of any sort, I would be, oh, I would yeah. welcome that. Yes. Candace. Absolutely, deal all trades. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about all of your talents and then you've talked about your interest in reading. So what made you start to write or who inspired you to write? And why are you writing your own play? Yeah, um, so again, I think the business I've chosen isn't easy. I oftentimes, I used to oftentimes wonder if I had made the right choice or if I was just being defiant, you know, as sometimes you do when you're young and then you then you got to stick with it because now you've been doing it too long. You're past the point of return and you're just living a life of defiance. That's not this at all. I was certainly chosen and called to be an actor, to be a storyteller, you know, um, period. And so, and I think we all, I think I'm, I'm holding space right now with with women who have been called to tell stories right? Mm -hmm. That's why you're doing Kitchen Island Tea. That's why right. we're here conversing right, right now. Right. Um, because all of our stories matter and they need to be heard and we need to be represented. And so the story specifically of Park Road um, is born out of a number of things. It's born out of my desire to set myself apart and to create some sort of ownership and more control over my career as an actor. Okay. If I've written it, produced it myself, I'm not waiting for someone to give me a job. That's true. And that was very important to me. Mm -hmm. um, but also one of my biggest complaints or observations, if you will, as, as um, a woman of color in, in the entertainment industry 
is that many of the roles are so narrowly focused. You know, there are a few things that oftentimes represent black people, African-Americans. I don't even say African, I just say black people because I'm black, I'm a black woman. I don't need to have the politically correct whatever. Um, but I say that because we're either, you know, single, single, struggling, struggling, there's no man around, single mom, um, we're on drugs, trying to, because we had to, or prostituting ourselves because we, again, we're poor and we got to make it some kind of way. These things are oftentimes um, written for us or we're the friend or some sort of like supporting player. Mm -hmm. What we rarely get to see, which I, 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 I long for to the depths of my soul is the full expression of our humanity, which is identical um, at, at the very least identical to everyone else's, every other race, ethnicity. Mm -hmm. um, but I rarely see us in the ethereal spaces or roles. I, I rarely see us characterize it. You know, um, it's getting better, but as um, certain levels of status, you know, not being poor, doing well, right? We're seeing a lot more of that now, but like traditionally, we weren't doing well. We weren't whatever. And my specific story. Unless you, unless you were a Huxtable. Unless you were a Huxtable <laughs> or unless you were a drug dealer. Yeah. So there's that story of doing well. Yeah, we're doing well. We're killing it um, because we are the boss in the neighborhood. But that's not, no disrespect to that. I'm not here to judge people's professions or how they make their way. But that's not my experience. Growing up in Washington, D.C., um, seeing a lot of people who are successful and thriving who look like me. I come from a world that isn't one where I'm accustomed to feeling, I don't know if it's the right way to express it, but lesser in any way because I'm African-American. Mm -hmm. right. At the very least, we're, you know, I've always known to be proud and great and, and not better, but certainly not worse, like to be mm -hmm. equal exactly. in the world that I exist in. Um, that's been my upbringing and my family is very unique in their story. And that's told in Park Road because I, I always joke and say it's sort of almost like a riches to rags story. <laughs> Reverse rag. In the sense of it's this, it's this grand tragedy that I've written. I love my family very much. And a lot of the elders have passed on, but I come from a long line of people who were well-educated and were doing well. And, you know, my grandfather and, and my grandmother lived in a very lovely, beautiful house on Park Road in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. um, that was sort of probably characterized as sort of a mini mansion, you know, of sorts, but had a carriage house and they were doing very well. My grandfather was a doctor, all of these things. Um, but there was a lot of, he had three daughters, three lovely daughters, but it's a situation where almost like, you know, you're overloved. Like they, the, his, his offspring didn't quite carry their weight, in my opinion. And there was sort of this like just leeching effect that happened. And I thought, I think it's an interesting story about how you can, you know, work very hard and have a very good life, but that everyone needs to kind of carry their weight and carry it forward. And if they don't, there's a threat of, and then there was a lot of secrecy. You know, what would happen when he passed? A lot of these things weren't discussed. There was a lot of just like, 
you know, no one knowing what was going to happen. And then we sort of lost this house and it's complicated, but <laughs> it's a story I'd never heard of before. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I felel compelled to share share it because I don't think it's a unique story. I mm -hmm. only think it's unique in that like it's not told often from the African American lens. Absolutely. But I think the actual story is unique in that, you know, a generation sort of resting on the laurels of, you know, their patriarch. Mm -hmm. and and either because they couldn't physically, you know, medically, whatever, or because they just felt entitled to not have to do much and contribute. Mm -hmm. Well, from what you said, all I can say is keep writing and keep sharing because the story, you had me mesmerized just telling me about I your know, I'm sitting here eating my cookies yeah. like, oh, I'm watching a movie. This is good. <laughs> so keep writing, Candace, because you have something to say and something to share. Thank you. Thank you. I, um, I appreciate that, that vote of confidence. I really do. I can't wait to see Park Row when it comes out because I know you're going to get it out there. I almost certainly it's a labor of love, but it's, it's my dream to do that and, and to write other things. But this story, I think every artist has a story that's like, it's their main bait. It's the thing they were meant to ultimately produce. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's the thing that they want to, it, it aligns most closely with what they want to, what we want to say to the world and share and the mark that we hope to leave. Well, let us know if you have to do crowdsourcing to get it done. Okay. <laughs> we'll help We're you. We're available. <laughs> I most certainly will. <laughs> yes, crowdsourcing, uh, the money part. We'll be right back with Kitchen Island Tea and our special guest, Candace Tiffany Gordon. Candace, my question is, for eight months, you were an entertainer on Royal Caribbean. I bet that was fun, but what was that like? That was crazy. That was a lot, a lot of fun. Absolutely. You do okay. that when you're younger. Okay. Um, you do that to get some experience. Um, yeah, we rehearsed for a month in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. Uh, which is about 30 minutes outside of Miami. Okay. And um, so we learned all the show and learned all the routines on a sound stage or a stage or a rehearsal space, whatever it was mm -hmm. in Hollywood, Florida. Mm -hmm. And then we um, got on the, sh the ship. It was Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines um, from Cape Canaveral. Okay. And so we would, so it was a, it was a three and a four day cruise. So we docked every third and fourth day. Um, and when we would, so we would pick up passengers, but, but we would stop in Nassau, Bahamas, and I think also Freeport, but I think mostly Nassau, Bahamas. And then Royal Caribbean had an island that they own called Coco Cay. Mm -hmm. and we, would, mm -hmm. we would stop there and it was just a tiny little island in the middle of the Atlantic, um, which thinking back really freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> That and there would just be like you know it's it would just be food and fun and beach and all of that, um, and so that was really great. We did two sh I did two shows per night, four or five four or five nights out of the week. I can't remember. Um, so they were back to back, and they were some of the quickest changes 
in terms of costume I've ever had. Our, our changes were so fast. And now that I think back, because we've gone through the whole Me Too movement now, they never allow this in um, in the industry. But they pulled like waiters from the crew to help us backstage. Mm -hmm. So Thank I remember these wow. random yeah. guys would just be seen because sometimes we had to get fully like it didn't matter. I have. And it's hard changing when you're sweaty and you're wet and you're trying mm -hmm. to change. That's the hardest changes for the us. Hardest change. And they were so mm -hmm. fast. Oh we had to preset our clothes. So at the top of the night, we preset everything mm -hmm. in reverse or in order, reverse order, right? Right. The, 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 yeah, the, the thing we needed on top. Um, but like, if you know, when you put your shirt on, you pull it, you scrunch it up and pull over your, so it would be preset in that way. That's how oh, little wow. every second counted. Um, and then we would have these guys who were helping us pull the shirt down, making sure. And funny enough, I had a terrible uh, costume mishap on that contract <laughs> where I went through an entire, the entire closing number with one of my top pieces out. Okay. We'll let you, you get a Danny Jackson Super Bowl. <laughs> Janet Jackson Super Bowl? <laughs> Basically, yes, the Super Bowl. And I was so, and I remember going through our formations and a friend of mine who ended up being on Broadway being extra chatty with me in the in the moment, like, like nodding his head. He was trying to bring my attention to the fact that I was <laughs> exposed. And it wasn't until we went up for the curtain call and I went to do my individual bow that when I when I bent over, I realized that I was I was out, and I just kind of had a laugh at it. I thought, "Yep, I mean, it's bound to happen. I'm surprised it hasn't <laughs> happened yet, um, because that's how fast." So that show really taught me how to be a hustler, and that's probably what it is in some cases on Broadway and other big shows. But like, they left no because every dancer and actor was pretty much on stage for almost every number. So the quick changes might be, maybe you came in, you know, a quarter of the way through the next number, but that's all the time you had to sort of get into your next costume. So it was fun. And by the end, I was ready to go. <laughs> kind of like being caught, you know, you're stuck on a boat almost, it feels like. And it's kind of like being in high school because your world on cruise ships is very much insular. It's like you're disconnected from what's happening in actual reality and you create this world of all the people that are around you on the ship, but it might have nothing to do with what's actually happening in the world. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> so it was interesting. Candace, the Caribbean, Royal Caribbean was crazy, just like you said. Yeah. <laughs> so much going on. I mean, golly. But let's talk about when things slow down. So... We know that you have just a wonderful, illustrious career as far as we're concerned, because we've seen and heard all the things you've done. But did you ever experience a slow time? Like when you first started out, maybe? Um, so absolutely, yes, there's a slow time right now. So let me just clarify that this business, you know, again, it's it's difficult. It's not for the faint of heart. It challenges artists in ways people it challenges people in ways that 
I think exists obviously in many other industries, but not on a consistent basis. Um, and that's that. So even just right now, speaking with you, we're in the first week, I think, of negotiations by the WG, uh, the, the Writers Guild of America, WGA, because there is potentially an impending strike that could be happening soon because all the contracts for the writers, the directors, and ultimately the actors are due to be renewed in the next couple months. I think for the writers, the contract expires, I think it's either May 1 or June 1. Um, it's coming up and and things have already been sort of slow because a lot of the productions and studios are sort of girding their loins. They're trying to figure out either push through projects they already have or don't start anything because if they start something, they might not be able to see them through um, if a strike happens. And so, but even beyond that. Well, we have our fingers crossed that it won't happen. Uh, me too. Me too. I'm so crossing my fingers. Um, but it's always, you know, this business is always, I go, I, I can go a whole year and not work at all. It, it, that's not uncommon. I booked three things last year, three good, significant things. All three fell through. One was a, a film shooting in Oregon. They couldn't ultimately reach the funding for it, raise all the funding for it. Another was a TV show. There was a COVID scare. So they they reorganized everything and got rid of some of it. It was a co-star role, but they decided to bring as few people as possible on set. And so those a lot of those smaller parts got cut. Um, and then there was another um, film that I was supposed to, again, funding issues. It's not been canceled, but it's been delayed until, you know, whenever, whenever they, they reach their funding. But, you know, that's the business. I audition all the time. You can't lose faith. Um, part of the benefits and drawbacks of COVID um, have been that in, you know, if you were in a like Southern market or a smaller market, those actors over the years have always been sending in tapes. A lot of their auditions have always been on tape. If you're in a major market like New York or LA or maybe even Chicago, you generally were going for your auditions in person. Mm -hmm. um, and COVID obviously eliminated that, which in many ways gave actors a, a greater sense of control. It gave us more responsibilities for less pay as usual, right? Because yeah. now we're producers, yeah. we're lighting people, we're editors, we do, I produce several videos a week and I have to look at all the elements of that in addition to the actual performance, which is really my primary job. I'm not complaining, but that's just what it is. And that's been great in a lot of ways because if you weren't good in a room, if you were someone who wasn't good with getting nervous and 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 all of that, you now in the comfort of your own home could do a take multiple times mm -hmm. and, and really truly present your best work. But it also has opened the field for greater competition because anyone can send a take. Casting directors can look at more tapes now. So <laughs> maybe they could only see 30 actors in a day. Now they can see 130. Yeah. I know that you said the Airbnb helps with the slow time, say now, but when mm -hmm. you first started out, did you have any odd jobs that you did? Like, were you ever a dog walker or a waitress? <laughs> I was a terrible waitress. <laughs> I am a terrible waitress. I should never be given that job again. <laughs> uh, I waited tables for a little while was a cocktail waitress, but I could never remember people's orders. And quite honestly, <laughs> I was not concerned. I don't care about your order. I don't care about your allergies. I don't care about that, the fact that you don't like pickles or onions. 
I'm just <laughs> not well suited for that kind of hospitality. You're an adult. I feel like you should feed yourself or grow up and suck it up and figure it out. Right. Thank goodness you're into acting and dancing. I'm so glad you're not a waitress. I'm so glad. Don't have to worry about her taking a waitress job. Pick the Airbnb and acting and dancing. Yeah. Better bartender. I was a better bartender, I will say. Because the the three of us would crush you as a waitress. We are sticklers about waitresses. I believe you. I believe you. I totally believe you. And I would just be ruined. I'd be be walking out on the job, maybe, with one of you. I don't know. (laughs) Bartending is a little better, but I also didn't like babysitting people because the thing about being a bartender is that people tend to come up, they park themselves at the bar, and they tell you everything that's going wrong in their lives for hours upon hours. And that can be- share. (laughs) That can be tiring because you're their therapist at that point. (laughs) Yes, yes. So my primary secondary job was just doing EA work, executive assistant. And I don't do that as much anymore because those are actually quite large jobs with a lot of responsibility. They pay well, they, they have a lot of rewards, but you, they, they are time suckers. They kind of take over your life. So now I'm just doing real estate and hosting. And, um, for now that's that it's sustainable and I'm very happy with that. That's good. Good, good, good. Well, we've talked about your successes. And so just for our listeners, mm-hmm. have you ever been rejected or didn't get a job that you really wanted? And if you did, how did you bounce back? I know how you bounce back, but you tell us. <laughs> <laughs> that personality yeah. will bounce you right back. <laughs> so I'm rejected all the time, probably multiple times a day, every week. Um, that's the that's That's what happens with actors. And probably writers and directors, you know what I mean? Because there's multiple people up for a job and rejection is is number one. So anyone who is in this this profession has to get comfortable with being with hearing no, even right. though you may not actually hear it. No, no news means you didn't get the job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that happens all the time, but I've never win cast. Um, you know, because there's a thing in TV and film, they always shoot more than they need. And and the movie is actually made in the editor's room. Yes. And there's a lot that's left on the cutting room floor. And I'm I'm happy to say that I've never been cut out of a scene. Uh, and so that makes me feel good. <laughs> Not yes. the, and, and, and actors aren't cut because like they did a bad performance. That could be a reason, but oftentimes that's not it at all. It's that there's not enough time it's not well received by the public. It doesn't make sense for the story anymore. It was just extra material. But I've I've survived the cutting room, <laughs> we'll say. Um, and that's really, I've never been otherwise let go from a job, but I am told no all the time, you know, because I just, you know, put three auditions on tape. Last week, it's still too soon to tell. I'll wait and see. But the three or the four that I did the week before that, Probably I didn't get, right? I haven't heard anything at this point. And I know that. But I think the important things we have to realize as artists is that we can't take it personally, even though it's such a personal profession. This is personal. Mm. You know, I I don't know how we do it sometimes because in order to be alive and to be vulnerable and to like breathe life into these characters, the idea is that we're, operating from a somewhat raw state 
and so that we're being honest, we're not cloaking mm -hmm. things and like what people tell us is the right way to do things or how we should feel. We're actually saying those words that, that are on that page from a very honest space. Um, but having said that, the business is very harsh and hard and unforgiving. And so there's constantly this dance that I feel like I do of, don't take that personally. Oh, but I just like, I'm crushed. I hate, I hate that. I was so perfect for that. But then I know if that casting director, if that office calls me in a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time, I know that it had nothing to do with my performance. It just wasn't right for that specific role. And they believe in my work. And more than anything else, the lesson in the nose is that I have to, I, I have to be my number one champion. I have to believe in what I'm doing. I have to know that I'm always doing my best. I have to know that I'm putting in the work and that I'm I'm leaving it all on the tape. Like it's, it was the best I could do. There's always gonna be someone better, but if I'm doing the best I can do every time, it might hopefully be a, good enough for that particular moment in time. So Candace, I'm always um, talking to my daughter because she's into film and acting and dancing and all of that. And when she gets turned down for roles, um, I say almost the same thing to her. I was like, you just weren't who they were looking for. That does yeah. not mean you are not talented. That does not mean you can't sing or dance or act or produce. It's yep. just, you were not who they were looking for. Keep on chugging along, keep on. Cause they can't yeah. take the talent away from you. The no. talent is there. Someone yeah. will recognize it and, and be able to utilize it and, and want it, but yes. don't get discouraged. And that's what I'm always telling her. And I'm telling that to you too. And it's yes. not like you already yeah. know. She that. pumped up. Yeah. No worries. I slide that back. Because here's the thing. We slide back. We're humans. We have every day I, I, I try to do a lot of self-help and I, I like Tony Robbins. Like who doesn't like Tony? <laughs> and I look at other people um and I say, I have to kind of talk to myself out loud every day mm -hmm. and remind myself of my worth, of my talent, of my effort. And I strongly believe that it would be at least the God that I serve, and I'm not an overly religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I grew up in the church, but I don't really go to church anymore. But I try and live my life um, in a godly fashion, if you will. You know, I have a conversation and a relationship with him. And I don't believe that the God that I serve would not reward a concerted effort and the sacrifice and the work the level of work that I and other artists are doing, he's not going to turn his back on that. Mm -hmm. And so when it, when it happens, when you land something, when I land something, it's like, oh my God, of course, like, don't even be surprised because it's, it was meant to be Candace, you know, and, and, when usually, it doesn't happen, and it's usually right on time. Cause that's how yeah. God is, you know, yes. we, we want stuff right now. Like yes. I want a role right now. I want to produce right now. I want to direct. I want to mm -hmm. get the Academy award right now. I want I want it now. But there's yes. timing when it comes to God and and it happens when it's supposed to happen. It's exactly. not our time, it's his. Exactly. It exactly. There you go. Yeah. Well, one last question from me anyway. <laughs> Who were your role models? Uh, I was most nervous about answering this question. Really? Um, and, and I'll tell you why, because my, my answer might... Feel, sound weird or be unpopular in the sense that 
I don't have any. And I think people generally, when I tell them that, they give me the look that Vanita is giving me right now. <laughs> but that's okay. fair. That is fair. That is so fair. Um, and I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, let me elaborate. So mm -hmm. obviously there are people in my life, certainly growing up, family members who I observed a tremendous amount of hustle in. And that I know I have, and I know I, 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 I learned from them. They sacrificed, they worked hard, they got their education if they could, and even they didn't, they hustled to leverage every resource. Creativity has been utilized within my family in terms of providing for my family in so many ways. And that was certainly inspiring. I learned, I took from some of those lessons and they have served me in my adult life. In the way of like a traditional sense where people, you hear people saying they have a mentor, which is good, it's a, that's a good thing. And mm -hmm. they have these celebrities or these popular personalities or even people within their own life and circle that they specifically look, look up to or look to for- um, Encouragement. Encouragement. It's not that I'm devoid of that, but I am very, very careful on looking to another human being who I feel is an equal in the grand scheme of things, despite how accomplished they are, mm. and despite how much experience they are, they have, I want to learn from that. But I also feel like in my observations in these decades I've been on the planet, that things are still so individually tailored mm. to the person that I can take a nugget from there, but that I most certainly have to find all of my inspiration and my will from within myself. I cannot and do not want to look to and have not found value, quite honestly, and really looking to anyone else specifically. I could be missing something. Um, it's not that they don't have very valuable things to say, because like I said, I, I pull where I need, but I... I'm not like anyone else. And I don't feel like there's someone else who can really give me what I need to be successful. I think I've got to find it and cultivate it myself. And that's what I rely on. And that's so what it sounds awesome. like you, you, awesome. you watched other people and you pull different nuggets from different individuals based on what's inside of you to help cultivate what's inside of you. But there's not one specific person that you can say, this was the role model that I was looking at to go on the journey that I'm on right now. Because it, it wasn't out there because you are unique and you, this is your own journey and you're creating a path for others. So I, I, I do have a question for you in creating a path that you're going down that's uniquely for you. What advice would you give young act people that are aspiring to be actors? Mm, yeah. Well, I'd say first and foremost really lean in and ask yourself the, the tough questions about if you really feel like you want to do it because for most of us, and there are exceptions always, but for the average actor, and I would say artists, but for specifically actors, it's usually a slow, long journey. And success is something you must define for yourself. Mm -hmm. And comparing yourself to other people is a killer of dreams and progress, in my opinion. You really have to know and be willing to sacrifice 
and in a way cultivate your own path. And a lot of other professions, it's kind of laid out for you. If you want to be a doctor, and that is plenty hard, we all know that, or a lawyer, but we know it's hard. But if you have the aptitude, as long as you follow the steps, you'll be successful. You could do all the things you think are right as an actor. You could study up, you could be able to, and you could still ne never land a role or a role that you feel like gives you any kind of commercial or mass success. Mm -hmm. It's a, it can, you know, you, you're just not guaranteed mm -hmm. anything in this profession. So I would tell people, put in the work, continually self-assess, right? Is this working? Am I, wh which way should I go? Do I feel like I'm getting what I need out of it? Never give up. You know, I just, the mm -hmm. Academy Awards were last week, just this past weekend, right? Where the yes. time is, and you know, um, Michelle Yeoh winning that Oscar, Mm -hmm. yes. So many older people having their moments. The guy from the other uh, uh, guy from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm -hmm. like Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, but also the other Asian mm -hmm. uh, guy Gentleman. who yeah. was an actor when he was younger and had some right. success. Like nothing had happened. Right. The trajectory is so different from everyone. And if it's truly what you want to do, not because your mom or your dad had wanted to be an artist and they're living their dreams out through you, not because someone told you or forced you, the self-assessment comes with, is this how I'm speaking to the world? Is, is what I want to say to the world, am I able to achieve that through this pathway? And am I willing to make the sacrifice uh, to keep going? And that's all I can say, just don't give up, put in the work and don't compare yourself. Mm -hmm. and say hi to <laughs> I took notes Candace I took notes okay so what I was going to add to that and I while you were talking I was thinking about um Viola um Davis and Shirley Ralph and all these women who are older and more seasoned now how they've been in a business for so many years been turned down for so many roles I've listened to the interviews but they still kept chugging along and still never gave up. And they are finally, and I won't say finally because I can't speak for them, but they are coming into their own to where they're getting some roles and they're getting recognized. I mean, we still got a long way to go. I mean, being a woman is, you know, not easy. <laughs> being an African-American woman, Black woman is another trigger there. But I'm just saying, just like those women, and that's what I, I keep telling my daughter, it takes a while. It just mm -hmm. takes a while. You got to know who you are and know where you're going, know who you belong to, whose you are. And so yeah. that's that's the battle. That's a battle. Yes, you want to say create something. things along the way that fee I think we have to create things like there's a book called The Artist's Life. How am I nurturing my creativity and my artistry on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Because maybe... Mm -hmm. You know, if a strike comes up and it, it there's a standstill for three months, even with COVID, it, yes, we're pinned into these scenarios, but creativity for me actually flourishes when it's restricted or mm. it's a, mm -hmm. there's an attempt to restrict it. Oh, mm. we can't get on stage as theater professionals. Oh, we can't do this. But isn't the very nature of creativity to kind of thrive in those moments and flee mm -hmm. in and find because it's if 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 we have everything at our disposal 
it, yes, we still can be very creative, but I feel it's easier. I think the more restricted we are in some ways can be an opportunity to harness that creativity even more so. That the one thing about creativity is it cannot be stolen. It can't be taken from you. can't be robbed of it. It is ever present and existing so long as we are ready, willing, and able to, to, mm -hmm. to lean into it. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I want to know, what did you want to be when you were a little girl growing up? What did you want to grow up to be? Dancer? I think it was probably more than anything a dancer. I didn't I really it. know. I knew it. I didn't really know. But the thing is, for dance, for me, it's weird. I hate to, because comparing apples and oranges, they both serve a very specific purpose in who I am and, and who, my, who, I, who I identify as. Mm -hmm. Dancer, though, for me, was always one of the safest spaces for performing arts. It, it I, when I was younger, I don't think I could fully, fully, I don't, I didn't have the voice I have now. I've had to develop this voice and mm -hmm. this strength. Okay. I didn't have it when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting on a stage to dance for me was like this permission slip to utilize my body to express how I was feeling mm -hmm. because I couldn't use my words. Mm -hmm. And so it was, again, another healing experience, but I also love being physical. My father was like, a, a, he was a professional skier or competitive skier. He mm -hmm. was a black belt in karate. He was just very active out on a boat, out running, fishing. He was just always outdoors doing something. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very accustomed to just like movement. I feel that, that I, that my body, and I think our bodies were designed to be in, in motion. Mm -hmm. um, and so dancing was just always a lovely way to create beautiful stories um, using my body. And so I would, I would have to say that's always, every now and again, I'll go take a dance class or even still go to an audition very rarely, but every now and again, just to check if I still have anything left. <laughs> <laughs> if you have the, and, um, um, the Aunt Viv, I don't know if you know that episode where Aunt yes, Viv does it as an old lady, she yeah. went to prove that she still had it. And she did. And when she, she walked out that door, she passed out on the floor. But she still had <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. That is one of the best episodes from yes. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Like yes. she did her thing. Did. Um, but absolutely, that's exactly what, what it is. <laughs> I love it. Aunt Viv, I'm going to start calling you Aunt Viv. <laughs> well, Candace, it has been a joy and a delight to have you at the island spilling the tea with oh. us. You are welcome to come back any, any, any time. I don't know if the ladies have any other parting words, but when I come to New York, we got to hang out again and get us some coffee. Yes. yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. So oh, it, it, beautiful it, it, Park Rose. I'm gonna be like hashtag Park Rose. There <laughs> you go. I will. I'm working on the latest draft now. When I get it done, I'll I'll share it with you guys. But I, absolutely, I will. I will. I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. I'm so honored that you took the time out of your day to to sit with me and hold space with me and learn more about me and we learn about each other. It's been, it's just been lovely. And um, I'm looking forward to this in the future episodes of Kitchen Island Tea. Yes. Well, like I said, you're welcome back anytime. And who knows, maybe you'll come back and be a guest host. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
all the way from DC or New York, wherever yes. you are. Yes, yes, yes. All right, well, ladies, we're going to wrap it up. But again, Candace, thank you for spending time with us, taking time out of your schedule. Be You're safe, welcome. and we will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I will you. See you yes, thank you. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye -bye. <laughs> thank you for listening. 